appropriate expression of our worship to come to Ruth 2. The Lord had laid me low. I thought perhaps abandoned. And so I asked, what are you doing? I answer prayers for grace and faith. Faith, you see, friends, is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of the things we haven't seen yet, but we anticipate. And so when it comes to God showing us his favor, that requires there to be a time where it's hard for us to see when we walk by faith. For Ruth, for Naomi, that's where we're at in Ruth chapter 2. If you'd please take your Bible to Ruth chapter 2. In other words, Naomi loses her husband. But she had made plans to be taken care of in the unlikely event that her husband died. She had two sons who were married. And then they died. And Naomi could ask, Lord, what are you doing? We get into Ruth chapter 2, and we start to see the Lord showing favor that fortifies Naomi and Ruth's faith. I would uh, invite the children who are going to go off to Children's Church to be dismissed. And then I would invite you to say hello to the people around you. Now, it's been about two years since we said hello to each other. And so do that respectfully. Maybe everyone doesn't want to shake your hand. Maybe they just want a New Testament kiss. But take a minute to say hello to each other, and then we'll come to Ruth too. I appreciate that you take time to seek out people you might not yet recognize. Um, Matt and Gloria are back here in conversation. I think I saw Jed over here. Uh, Ian, Ian Fife. Ian, do you know if your parents are watching this morning? You don't know. They're in Fr- I know they're in France, but he often sends me messages on WhatsApp and tells me that he's watching the service, so maybe they're tuning in with us from France into uh, their missionaries, and so they're doing some training in France with ABWE. And so I'm glad to see that you say hello and express Christian hospitality to people who are in church. Speaking of Christian hospitality, have you ever wondered what you would do if you were to become homeless? To not have a community 
that would step in and intervene for you? What would you do? What would you do if, if your relationships were strained, if maybe family ties had been broken, and all of a sudden, earthly means were gone? And you lost your transportation. You lost your shelter. And you, and maybe your family, was without. What would happen then? That's kind of the story that we're in, in Ruth. And here's something I want you to understand. God has made a plan for the welfare of people who are in dire straits. God has. Mm. I chose the word welfare intentionally. Our God saw fit in his law to make a welfare provision for uh, uh, foreigners, widows, orphans. That Welfare provision is applied in Ruth 2. In two places, in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus, God gave instruction for how the harvest was to be brought in and stored. When you go out to your field and you make harvest, leave the edges. Now, depending on the particular landowner, they would leave either generous edge or lean edge, but they needed to leave leave an edge. Leave corners. When you get to the corner of your field, Leave that part. And then, now now here's where there's some clarification to this welfare provision. Then, those people who don't have a meal can go into that field and labor there, reaping from the corners of the field. So God's welfare welfare provision wasn't to give people things who don't want to get things for themselves. That was not God's part of the fall is to labor by the sweat of our brow. God's not changing that in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Leave the corners for people who need assistance. I'm going to talk today from that forward in a sermon titled Gracious Plans. In the short scene that we have here in Ruth 2, the roles start to be reversed because Up to this point, we've read this book and we would think, why isn't this book called Naomi? Well, today we're going to find out why. Why it's called Ruth. The the narration, the dialogue between the two shifts here. Naomi is now seen as a person at home getting news about God's provision from Ruth. The first time here, Ruth is portrayed as the primary actor in the narrative. The scene consists of, or the the chapter consists of two scenes. The first is a conversation between Ruth and Naomi at home. The second is taking place in a field. And then what happens in the field is reported back to Naomi. This chapter covers one day. As the day starts, Ruth leaves home with nothing but hopefulness. And she returns in abundance. She leaves home with nothing but, I hope this works. And she returns home with evidence that God had not forgotten them. She returns home with an ephah. Verse 17, 
an ephah of grain, three-fifths of a bushel or five gallons, nearly half a month, two weeks worth of food, monetarily. Not in terms of diet. I think these two ladies are eating pretty conservatively. But in terms of how much it would cost to buy that much food, two weeks' labor to purchase that much food. That's what she has by the end of the day when she comes home. The Bible tells us that when Naomi and Ruth part in the morning, their hearts are heavy. But by the end of the day, there are smiles on their faces. In verse 18, the Bible says that Naomi saw what had been provided and her joy is expressed. Imagine the smile on Naomi's face when she asked, where did you get that much? In other words, what field owner was that generous? Wow, what a great day. And then Ruth reports, well, there's this guy, I guess. His name's Boaz. And Naomi's face lights up because she saw more than food in that answer. Imagine the smile when they recount the fact that what had happened was an expression of favor from the Lord. Look at verse 20. I think this is an essential verse in this chapter. Referring to the Lord, he has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. The Lord bless those who he uses to keep showing kindness to the living and the dead. The word favor conveys the, conveys the idea of kindness beyond what's due. Kindness beyond what's due. That's what Ruth and Naomi experienced on this particular day that Ruth 2 records. The Bible makes it clear that God is holy. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage you to think of holiness as one of the attributes of God. I would consider you, I, I would uh, encourage you to consider holiness as the collection of God's attributes. Operating in perfect harmony and balance. In other words, we have a God who is both righteous and therefore angry at sin and loving and long-suffering with sinners. Because those two things both exist, not, in, con not in, in conflict with each other, but in perfect harmony, we have a holy God. I would encourage you to think of holiness as the way all of his attributes function in, in glorious harmony. We do have a God who is angry at sin, but we also have a God who delights to show favor. And if you look at verse 12, you'll find out that's exactly what these two women see God doing. Showing favor. How kind is God? God's favor can be summarized here in this chapter. I'm going to give you three ways. The first way is this. Let's see together that God's favor is meticulously planned. Just a teaser. When did God decide how and when and where he was going to reward Naomi and Ruth that day? How long had that plan been in place? And how about the details? Were they chance? Let's talk about that first. Then the second part we're going to talk about is that we, we see the Lord providing for Ruth and Naomi, but we see a particular individual. His name's Boaz. 
He is a channel through whom the favor flows to these two women. So the second thing I want you to see is that yes, our God is full of grace and pouring out favor on us and others. And he does that wonderfully through means, means of people. And then the third thing I want us to see just in this chapter as we walk through it is what we have found to be true about God's favor to us should have a measurable impact on us. In other words, will tomorrow's joy be conditioned by yesterday's favor from God? Or will we just people who taste and see that the Lord is good and go forward without any meaningful impact from that? So those three points, okay? Let's get into the first one. The first one is the meticulous plan of God when he shows favor. Right away in verse one, we find the clue. Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He's a worthy man named Boaz. And then in verse two and three, these verses record the decision of Ruth to go off into a field. Now remember, she's a foreigner. She doesn't even know what field to go off into. But then look at verse three. She found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was formerly, who was of the clan of Elimelech, Naomi's husband. That makes Boaz a relative. In fact, the language we're going to use over the next several weeks, that makes Boaz a family redeemer, or the big word that you might be more familiar with is a kinsman redeemer. One who was associated with and therefore called out to be the provision to take care. Okay, that's really important. She finds herself working in this guy's field, a foreigner. Now, there's no record in the first two verses of Naomi saying, okay, head out of the house, take a basket, and go find Boaz. There's no record of that. She just wanders into a field. And as luck would have it, insert sarcasm. I was on the phone with my daughter this week, and I was being very, very sarcastic. No, no, I was in the truck. She was sitting behind me, and I was being very sarcastic. And she says, and she says, I can't see your face, so I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. And I assured her she should always assume I'm being sarcastic. That would be sarcasm, to assume that Ruth walked into a field and, whoa, who would have thunk it? It's Boaz. But here she is in this field of a family redeemer who can be used of God to provide for, not as luck would have it, but as God's plan to show kindness and favor always includes meticulous plan. There's a great mystery in this. There's a great mystery in this. Friends, what, what if Ruth woke up that day with a great sense of hopelessness and Naomi says, all right, we're here during the harvest. Thankfully, we, we can be cared for because God's law says this is, this is what the, the harvest will look like. You can go out and you can get food for us. And Ruth said, I am exhausted. I don't even think God remembers us. I'm staying home today. I'm not interested. We experientially would say, oh, no, Ruth 
If you don't go out on that day, then this won't all come together. That makes perfect sense to me because I live that way. That's my experience. And so there's this really peculiar mystery at play here. It's the mystery between an individual's choices of what they do in a day and God's meticulous plan. How do the two operate together? I heard one really wise teacher explain it this way in an imperfect illustration. How many of you in the room have played or maybe you enjoy playing chess? You enjoy playing chess. Chess is a lot of fun. My dad was a chess fan, and so he taught me how to play chess when I was young, and I still really enjoy it from time to time, playing chess. Have you ever played chess with someone who was a lot better than you? You're moving your bishop, and you're moving your pawn, and your rook, and you're moving all this stuff, and you think you're making really good moves. And the person across the table from you is influencing what piece you move and where you move it, and you have no idea. You could use that as an illustration for this mystery between our God's meticulous plan, not luck, not four different fields, and as long as Ruth wanders into one of those four, then this is what's going to happen. But that field, that person, that day, that faithfulness, that care, that sovereign, mysterious plan, meticulous plan. That is seen most clearly when we think about God's planning to be favored or to favor us. Acts chapter 4, verse 27. Just listen as I read. For truly in that city there were gathered together against the holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. There's indication of meticulous planning. There were these two named Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do I'm in Acts 4.28. Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, and Jews in the city to do do what? To do whatever they wanted? To be either as kind or as crude as they wanted? To say, let let the prisoner go, let Barabbas go, but crucify Jesus of Nazareth. To, To do what? Verse 28. There were Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, and Jews there in the city to do whatever your hand and plan predestined to take place. Not happenstance, not luck. I wonder if the cross is going to happen. God directing through meticulous plan as though he is the sovereign ruler of the universe. I heard in verse 4, Reminder of that. Ruth is in the field. She's in the corners. She's grabbing stuff. By the way, it's not just the corners. If they come and they pick up a bundle and some falls out, the law won't let them go back and pick up what fell out. You ever rake leaves? You ever rake up leaves and you rake them up into a pile and then maybe you use like a shovel or something, you scoop the leaves up and then you put them in a bag and you turn around and there's this trail of leaves where you had just tried to work and they're still on the ground. If that happened in the field... The law said, don't don't go back and pick up the droppings. Leave those for the people who have need. So Ruth's out there working, out there working. And then verse 4. And just then, Boaz arrives. Listen, your 
personal experience might be tempted to say, some people have all the luck. I have a favorite expression as a coach. I've coached for a little over two decades. And I repeatedly use this expression. I would rather be lucky than good. But that's facetious. You would rather be lucky than good, by the way, in sports. Just then, Boaz arrives. Would you believe it? I would. Because I know that in this narrative, this is expression of the meticulous favor of God's plan. Now, church, before I leave this point, I want, I want to make sure that we understand that hasn't changed. That is still in place today. Let me share with you a passage in way of, this transitions us from point number one to point number two. Do you remember point number one is look at God's meticulous plan in favoring people, gracing people. And then point number two is going to be the channels, like God's favor comes through people to us. Remember? Okay. In light of that, God is still meticulously planning to care for us. And we're going to talk about in Jesus in a moment. But before I get to that, I want you to understand, if you were homeless, if provision was lost, God has given the rest of us instructions of how to take care of you in that situation. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 5. It explains 1 Timothy, Paul's writing to a pastor. He's saying, hey, in church life, this is what you should do, especially as it relates to widows. So you remember Naomi and Ruth, they're, especially Ruth, is a foreigner, and she's widowed. Especially as it relates to these people who can't otherwise take care of themselves, those of you who are the church must come to their aid. He says, commend these things as well, so that you may be without reproach. If anyone does not provide for those relatives, especially those of the household of faith, then they are not living in the faith, and they are worse than in behavior than an unbeliever. If, if you became homeless and without means, God has meticulously planned for us to be the channels that care for you. And that's something we should take very seriously. Earlier in the, earlier in the paragraph, the Bible says, to the widow who's truly a widow. There are women who have no men or even adults in their life to meet their need. What is to happen? What is to happen with them? God has prepared provision for them. It's us. So God is still meticulously planning, and we don't expect that to change. Let's look at the second point. The Lord's lavish favor comes to us through channels. We might refer to this particular channel as Mr. Wright. His name was Boaz. In verses 4 through 16, the middle section of the chapter introduces this character named Boaz. Literally, Mr. Wright. In a sense that he's the ideal man for the Lord to use as a channel to favor these two women. To show kindness and care for Naomi and Ruth. He qualifies as a good channel in these ways. Look at verse number one right away. Let's, we're going to walk through about 10 verses here, okay? So I want to show you Boaz from Ruth chapter 2. Verse number 1. 
What do we learn right away? We learn that Boaz is a relative. This is significant. And we'll explain more about that significance in Ruth chapter 3. Secondly, he was a man of standing. He was a man of means. This is important because if he is to be used by God to take care of two widows, he'll have to have the means to do such. Look at verse 4. He was godly. He referred to the Lord as a normal thing. With Boaz, there's, there's no gap between his business life and his spiritual life. They're one and the same. He has several interactions with his employees working the field, and it seems to indicate that his employees understood that's the law of the Lord, to leave the field looking this way. That's exactly what we do because we work for Boaz. Next, in verses 6 and 7, you would read there that Boaz is obedient. Obedient to the law of the Lord. In verses 8 and 14, you would find that Boaz is welcoming. He's hospitable to this refugee woman. He even refers to her as my daughter. What a warm term of kindness. Then at mealtime, he invites her to share food with them. He was sensitive. In verses 8 and 9, you find there that Boaz tells her, to stay with his group of workers, the, the young ladies of his household. Stay here with them. Don't be out here on your own. It is dangerous, which is the next point. He provides for Ruth, giving her protection. He tells his men, be careful not to do any harm to her. He supplied refreshments for her, telling her to eat and drink. And then as the day went on and she labored in the field, she could go and drink from the water that the rest of his laborers were drinking from. This all exceeds the requirement of the law to just leave some extra harvest in the field. He was generous. Verses 14 through 16. When it was lunchtime, he asked Ruth to eat with him and the men. She ate all that she wanted, even having leftovers. Boaz was Mr. Right for Ruth and Naomi. He was ideally suited, perfectly prepared by the Lord to be a channel of his lavish kindness to these women. In that, we see that Boaz prefigures our right redeemer. I cannot move away from this point about God favoring us through a channel without talking about Jesus Christ. I was raised in a Christian home, and the wonder of the gospel was explained to me at a very, very young age. But my young mind struggled at several points with some of the delicate nuance. For example, I learned as a boy that God the Father had made a punishment that is hell for all those who would sin against him. And God seemed very stern and very angry. But I also learned in the gospel that there was another part of the Trinity, the Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and stood in my place unto death at the cross. 
And my application of that was Jesus is a kind and benevolent shepherd and God the Father was a heavy-handed taskmaster. And I, I would not have said it that way because I, I hadn't processed it to the point where I could speak it. But now looking back, I know that in my immature comprehension of the gospel, I saw a thank you, Jesus, because God is after me. And this text, as we think about Boaz, as we think about Jesus, it reminds us that God is favoring us through Jesus Christ. Let, let's walk through it and see the similarities, how Christ is seen in the prefigure, Boaz. First, he left heaven to become our relative, our kinsman redeemer. He is acquainted with our weaknesses. He took on flesh to become our relative redeemer. He is, as the God-man, the most spiritual. He was and is a man of standing, worthy, with all the resources of God at his disposal, all that we needed in his humanity. He's a godly man, the most godly man that ever lived. For him, there's no division between the sacred and the, quote, secular. He was obedient. He lived in perfect submission to the law of God. You think Boaz was obedient by leaving the corners of the field? The kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, has been perfectly obedient to every part of the law. He was welcoming. Christ welcomes all who take refuge in him. Wherever they were from, he welcomed them to come in. Inviting Ruth in to take bread and wine with him points us to, doesn't it? Points us to the vivid picture of Communion, the sacrifice of Christ. He points us forward to the feast of eternal kingdom of heaven when he says, come in and eat all that you would like and there will be leftover. He is sensitive, dealing with each person personally and graciously. Look at Christ, the widow, the grieving parent, the woman accused of adultery, the woman at the well. Jesus comes to them and says, my daughter. Through his death on the cross, he provides protection against sin for all who take refuge in him. You think it was kind that Boaz said, okay, see that woman? You make sure that no one brings her any harm. Jesus protected us from the eternal condemnation of sin, death, evermore, Jesus protects us from. We see God's plan here is meticulous. Wonderfully prepared. We see that God's plan isn't a plan that just exists somewhere. It's a plan that channels to us through people. Let's look at the third one. The Lord's Lavish favor is hope-giving for the future. In verses 17 through 23, the closing verses of this chapter show Naomi 
recognizing and confessing the Lord's kindness. And she heard Ruth come back and account for the day. Look just at verse number 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. You see in that verse, Naomi say, Today's favor reminds me that there's hope for tomorrow. Because she doesn't just say, oh, good, we can eat. She says, there's more. The fact that God hasn't forgotten us today reminds my soul that he will not forget me tomorrow. Despite the bitter things that were going on in her life, the Lord did not stop showing kindness to these women. Boaz is a relative. Boaz has a special God-given responsibility to care for these women as a channel of God's favor. Ruth 2 calls for us to put into practice three things. And I, I invite you to put these into practice now. As a way of being shaped by Scripture, here are three things I think we all have to do. Number one, would you take time, even now, even now while I'm speaking, would you take time to trace the Lord's meticulous plan to show you grace? You sit here in this room this morning, and the probability is that you have known the saving grace of God. How did that happen? And I hope that partly by my sarcasm, we've eliminated the, wow, was I lucky to come to a place where someone spoke Jesus to me. To tune the radio to a station where someone was speaking Jesus. To pick up a flyer or a track to attend a, a college ministry, to find a significant boyfriend or girlfriend. Those weren't happenstance, were they? There was a meticulous plan of a benevolent God to show grace through any number of I would call you to take time with a heart full of thankfulness to look at those things carefully. And, and be careful, too, not just to look at those big things, like the day when you, quote, prayed a, a prayer of confession to the Lord. But what about all the things that led to that moment? What about all the relationships? What about all the things that had happened in your life that were tragic? That, in fact, were leading you to that grace. Second, hear the call from this text to not just look at Boaz and how Boaz prefigures Christ and go, wow, thank the Lord for people like that. But look at this story and say, how is God channeling his favor to others through me, even right now? 
can you, can you think about it? Can you think about those occasions where God has blessed other people with heavenly blessings through you? I mean, meaningful, significant favor through you. There are, there are, there are an untold number of kind things that we can do for each other. I mean, it, it, is, it is as simple as a compliment, a kind word, a word of encouragement. It's as simple as uh, maybe, maybe you see a family after church and you say, hey, I, I want to pay for your lunch today. Here's a couple bucks. You go have lunch with your family. Enjoy the day. There's, there's all sorts of kind things we can do. But not just that. When's the last time that you latched on to another person's life and said, I want to be a blessing and disciple you in the wonder that is Jesus. I just want you to know more. I want you to know another perspective of Christ's work in my life as he's worked in your life. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be arrogant, like you don't know as much as I do, so I'll disciple you. It doesn't have to be that way. I can share testimony of Christ to me. I just want to say a quick word about discipling as a channel. Um, fairly regularly we'll have people contact us as elders and say, could someone at church please disciple me? And, and we, we put out invitations, you know, to any number of people. I, I would I would say to guard us from confusion or frustration, not that any one of the elders wouldn't jump at that opportunity, but most often are already engaged with two or three individuals that are being discipled. And so a lot of times when people call and they say, hey, is there somebody that would disciple me? They say, not you, not you. I know you have so much going on, and so if you can think of someone else, I don't want to burden you with the request, but is there someone else? And sometimes it's hard to find someone. And to be totally frank with you, when someone comes to a congregation of Christians who have been commanded by God to make disciples and asks for a discipler and it's hard to find one. Um, let me humbly say it, it, it forces the question of what is a church? That, if that's not an option in our community, in our faith community, okay? So that's just meant to be a sober encouragement to see yourself as a channel of God's favor. God's grace is not to leave people in spiritual infancy and vulnerability and danger, but it's to grow them. And how does he do that? Through channels like Boaz. And I just want you to be very careful not to look around the room and go, thank goodness there are people here who will do that. Um, you are one. You are a disciple, and you're commissioned by our 
loving Savior Jesus to be a disciple maker. So those first two things, look back on the way God's meticulously planned out favor toward you, and then be a channel. Okay, be a channel. Number three, take courage. Hold fast to the joy of your salvation, seeing that God's favor yesterday and today assures us of favor tomorrow. Our God is immutable. He's not fickle. He doesn't change. He doesn't have good days and bad days. The same characteristics that he has displayed and the same relationship he has had with you yesterday and today, you can expect that same favor tomorrow. And we need to be reminded of that because we can look back to our wonderful and awesome salvation and then have moments where we doubt. Naomi does. Is God for me or not? Would you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15? Uh, if you've been in church here for a long time, you no doubt have heard me reference this text a lot. In fact, as recently as last Sunday, First Corinthians 15 is a long explanation about the certainty of the resurrection. If God has favored us in forgiveness, and if God has favored us in providence today, but not eternal life tomorrow, then we're miserable. If all we had was his favor in the past, and maybe on this April Sunday, his favor today, but not for eternity, then no Christian has any logical defense for their joy. But, 1 Corinthians 15, there definitely is resurrection to eternal life, brothers and sisters. There definitely is life everlasting in Christ. Verse 58, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always operating as a channel to others of God's favor in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The same favor of yesterday and today is ours in Christ tomorrow. John Newton wrote a hymn, probably not extremely familiar of all John Newton's hymns. Be Gone Unbelief is the title. He says this. His love in times past forbids me to think he'll leave me at last, in trouble to sink. And can he have taught me to trust in his name and this far have brought me only to put me to shame? 
has any of my relationship with God the Father indicated in any way that disappointment and shame are coming next? Of course not. If God the Father did not spare his own son, what good thing is he keeping behind his back from you? Well, nothing. The question's rhetorical. God's plan of favor is meticulously planned. Oh, what a master creator and sustainer. Nothing outside the power of his will. God's favor is not delivered mysteriously. It's delivered incredibly practically through people just like you and I. And as Ruth tells Naomi, look at the food for today. Where did you get it? From a man named Boaz. God's going to keep favoring us into the future. He has made for us and this is our confession in Christ. And this is our hope, and therefore our joy, brothers and sisters. So, as an expression of that joy, we praise our King. His salvation is sure. And we speak of the wonders of Christ to those who have never heard. Be a channel. God is gracious. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this narrative, this paragraph story, chapter, where you put your character on display. And by studying it, we see testimony of your faithfulness and we walk in a joy-filled faith that the same favor you have shown us in Christ will be yes and amen. Ours forevermore. So, as we steward this text, our life, and our worship, cause us by your Spirit to look back and see the providence that led us to receive such a gift as Christ. Cause us to see, even now, our plenty protection, and then to walk forward in a, in a boldness, in an assurance, in a, in a praise that can't be undone by circumstance, because we anticipate the completion of all your promises in Christ. Toward us forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, please.